the district superintendent who's going to be here for the second service chose our scripture this morning. And he's preaching um, at 10.30, so we are using the same text and the same service for our first service. And the text comes out of John's Gospel, chapter 12. I'm going to extend a little bit. I'm reading verses 12 through 16. We're told the next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a donkey and he sat on it, just as is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. I actually changed the name of the message. Andrew is going to preach according to the same text and the title that he chose. I didn't confer with him more than that about what his text and his title was. And as I wrote my sermon, I realized the title didn't make sense. And so the way that I am proceeding, I have named the message this morning, September 28, 1960. Now, that's a very important day, or it should be a very important day for sports fans. And since we're in the middle of Red Sox season, I figured everybody knows what that day is, correct? Anybody know? Well, on September 28, 1960, Ted Williams played his final game in Boston. There was a whopping 10,000 people there. You see, it really wasn't seen as that big of a deal. However, since then, they say that hundreds of thousands of people claim to have been there because, of course, Ted William, in his last time at bat, hit a home run. And it's one of the great events in Red Sox Nation. In fact, it still is considered one of the great events in all of Boston sports history. It reminds sports fans of what matters. Because I guarantee you that day there were not lines of people, throngs just lining up, hoping to get a ticket to get into Fenway Park. Well, today we start Holy Week, and we're reminded of what really matters. It's not always the way we perceive it. We may think one thing really matters, only to discover that it's something else. Which is why, as I looked at this text, I considered and realized for all of us, we need to come to terms with the fact that popularity doesn't determine God's will. Just because it's popular doesn't mean it's God-ordained. Notice verse 12, and this is why Palm Sunday has always been such an interesting thing to me, and I'm telling you, since I was a kid, I've pondered Palm Sunday. It troubled me as a child, and I'll talk about it a little bit as we look at our message. But in verse 12, we're told the next day, a large crowd had come to the feast and heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. The question that troubled me since childhood, being in Sunday school, is how come all these people show up, they're there in Jerusalem, and they rush out to see Jesus only to a week later, call for his crucifixion. 
It didn't make sense to me as a kid. Now, as an adult, it makes perfect sense to me because that's how people are. They get all excited about something one day and it becomes big and popular only to get completely rejected the next day. I think we have a word for that. It's called fads. Crowds welcome Jesus. But then the same crowds also rejected him. But what really mattered were God's will and what was so important that week with the crucifixion. Few stayed with him. Very few. They turned against him. They abandoned him. They were embarrassed by him. Holy Week is a time to consider God's will. Do we just simply get involved with something because it's popular? It's so easy to do. We see the crowds, we see the connections, we see people excited about it, and we think it must matter. Therefore, I have a question of you. How many of you have played puff billiards recently? It was huge in 1906. It was all the rage. How about back painting? This is not tattooing. Have any of you gone to a back painter? The most famous back painter, people came from all over the country, up to Boston because there was a guy up there who would paint big, beautiful ships on people's backs. Yeah, sorry, it's another fad that people just had to have at the time. I think it was about the 1920s. Maybe this one you remember, Healy's? My son Todd used to have Heelys. They were big. Every kid had to have a Heely until those were those little things that the kids put on their shoes and they would zip up and down. We used to have a problem with them here in the church. The worst was my youngest son who would fly around people. Fortunately, he never killed anybody. But the truth is, huge fads quickly get forgotten. Many of the most important things really look quite small at the time. September 28, 1960, Sports fans who just love sports, who passionately love the Red Sox, who the rest of their life would talk about how heartbreaking it was to see bad things happen, like their team lose to the Yankees, just didn't want to watch a losing team play their last game. They just didn't think it was important. Now, had you shown up, not been one of those people who said you were there, but really were there, and kept your ticket, your ticket would be worth over $1,000 today because everybody wants tickets from that game. Palm Sunday was misunderstood. Jesus was coming, and people made an assumption, and they all showed up. There was 100,000 people in Jerusalem that day, because it was a Passover. And the throng showed up to welcome this guy, completely misunderstanding what was going on, and they showed up for all the wrong reasons, and it was huge. But Calvary changed the world. The defining moment of human history. Nobody was there. People didn't throng to be with our Savior when he died. The most important thing, the very center of our faith, same thing with the resurrection, a couple of women show up. Realizing that they hadn't anointed the body, and they show up on the first day of the week, now what's really amazing, and nobody there. Popularity doesn't determine God's will. And yet, how easy it is for us to just get caught up with things that are new, the newest fad, and to think we have to have it. That's why I often talk about the 
white tiger megazoid, that, that toy that I just had to buy for, Todd, or for David, even though a few years later it ended up in a yard sale. Another thing we learn out of our text this morning is our wants also don't determine God's will. Popularity doesn't determine God's will, but neither do our wants. Verse 13, it says, So they took palm branches, and they went out to meet Jesus, and they were crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. The word that's used here about them crying out is the word kragadzo. It means to scream. It's literally a growling, an excitement, an enthusiasm of people just chanting that this is the most important thing. And what were they yelling and screaming? Hosanna. But they weren't welcoming him as the king of heaven. They weren't welcoming him and screaming about him being savior. They were screaming, save now or please save because the people wanted a new king to give them salvation from Rome. They had their desires, and they had their wants, but God's will was not for their wants to be met. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem was certainly God's will, but it was not based on the wants of the people who were screaming that day, wanting a king to kick out the Romans to give them a different government. God's will for that week was to establish eternal salvation that you and I could have a personal relationship with Christ and not only have an abundant life in this world, not only have the Holy Spirit inspire our lives and leave us never alone, but always in a relationship with God, but also that we could live forever. I think somehow that Palm Sunday reminds us, don't settle for your wants. You'll get much less than God's will, which is much better. How often do we do that? We settle for our wants. We follow what's popular. But then we come to realize what is God's will. It's so different than how we live our lives. In fact, God's will reverses our natural thinking. You and I have our brains going in one direction and assuming this is the most important thing. This is what really matters. This is what we want. This is what's popular. This is where we put our attention only to realize that God is doing something much different and God's will is for something much different. Have you never experienced that in your life? That's why so often we find God's will when we look back. We say, I wanted this, but look, God was really doing this. Isn't it amazing what God did? And yet we so often just want to settle. That's what we do, we settle. We just settle for what's popular or we settle for what we want. Verse 14, they found Jesus on a young donkey. It's almost comical, isn't it? They go out and they're all excited because something popular is happening. There's this big buzz and this big stir, and they want something. They want a new king. They want to get rid of the Romans, and they hurry and they charge out. And they know something, that when a king entered into a city, especially a city like Jerusalem, They would come with chariots. So imagine we're there with the throngs that day and we're all caught up in the excitement and we can't wait to go and we've got it figured out. This must be God. There must be something happening. Look at all the people who are going and wow, we know what we want and we hurry and we scurry and we get out there. And it's Jesus on a donkey. Now there's a twist. 
I'm sorry. People were not expecting him to come in to Jerusalem on a donkey. If there was going to be a conqueror, if there was going to be a hero, there would certainly be chariots, and there would be horses, and there would be a military movement. But Jesus came in on a donkey because Jesus is a king with a different value system. Holy Week is all about this reversal. It's all about getting it different in our lives to realize that we need to get ourselves in touch with what God's doing. We need to stop and pause and realize that God has something so much better for us when we trust in Him and turn our life and our will over to Him and start seeing what He's doing and start asking that basic question, may your will be done rather than my will be done. How many of you remember Explo 72? Honest hands. Explo 72. I only knew about it because my brother went there. How many of you remember Woodstock? Not were you there, but how many have heard the name Woodstock? Come on, honest. We've all heard. Woodstock, look around, Woodstock. Look at all the hands. Explo 72. Yeah, no. Let me tell you about Explo 72. Explo 72 was organized by Billy Graham. It didn't have 40,000 people who attended, but it was still pretty well attended. It had 80,000 people. And it was a revival that was done in 1972 for young people. It was done in Dallas, Texas. What's amazing is Expo 72 literally changed the faith landscape of the 20th century. Out of those 80,000 people, 60,000 became either pastors, seminary professors, or missionaries. You probably know at least one thing from Explo 72. They introduced a song. It's called Pass It On. Go check it out. That's where it started, Explo 72. Billy Graham and Bill Bright organized a big revival for college students. And it basically got ignored. And yet almost every pastor has been affected by Explo 72. The entire contemporary Christian music Movement started at Expo 72. Check it out. That's where it came from. That's why you have Christian radio. That's why you have Christian concerts. You have all sorts of things. You have Christian festivals. You have all sorts of stuff that happened. But by and large, it got ignored. Because you see what God is doing and how God's work reverses our natural thinking. We think Woodstock's the big deal. Holy Week. Holy Week. The week in which Jesus enters into Jerusalem. They assume he's going to be a king. They assume he's coming in a chariot. They assume he's going to kick out the Romans. They get all excited, and then they just as quickly turn against him. It challenges us right where our values are. It asks us as Christians to really consider, am I open to doing God's will? Am I willing to listen to my Heavenly Father and what He wants for my life and realize that I may be settling if I look at the world differently? But here's the encouraging word. There's a big churchy word we use. It's called sanctification. It means the process of the Holy Spirit making us better. It's the Holy Spirit working in every Christian's life, changing us from the inside out. But sanctification doesn't happen all at once. It's a process. 
It's little bit by little bit by little bit. And that's why the most encouraging words of our text are those last words. His disciples did not understand these things at first. We're not going to get it all right all the time. It's a process, folks. The disciples spent three years with Jesus, and still they got it wrong. Okay, I get it, we say. I get it, finally. No, I'm getting it. Hear the difference? We never get it. As soon as we think we get it, we don't get it. It's a process. We constantly need to be changed. We constantly need to be corrected. We constantly need God's work in our life. Because even on Palm Sunday, with these guys who spent three years with Jesus, they still don't get what God's doing. They're still caught up with the crowds. And when Jesus is arrested, they deny him. They walk away from him. They ignore him because they still don't understand That's why we need a spiritual GPS. (laughs) How many of you use a GPS these days? You know what's great about a GPS? It doesn't care whether we think it's right or not. It just tells us how to go. And when we learn to follow the GPS, then we can figure out how to get from the right place to somewhere else. And sometimes our thinking is completely messed up, and we look at the GPS, and if we say, no, it's wrong, and we go do something else, we may not like where we are. But when we can trust it and follow it, it works. I was coming home yesterday from Groton, and I was talking to my wife on the phone, and the GPS was there. And the GPS directed me, and I said to Regina, I, I kind of not really sure where it's directing me, but I'm following it. And then in the next words, I'm like, I am totally lost. And she goes, lost? I go, no, I'm just following the GPS. And then I said, I'm going the wrong way on 128. I'm not sure where this is. And she goes, what's wrong? I go, I just don't really know where I'm at. And she goes, are you okay? I go, yeah, I'm following the GPS. I'm sure it's okay, but none of this is making sense. And all of a sudden, I got on 93, and I said, oh, I see where I am now. And I continued. And I realized, had I gone by my own thinking, I'd still be wandering around somewhere in New Hampshire or something. And I said to her, we used to live up in this area. I should remember all these roads. She goes, honey, you're getting old. (laughs) It's all a process. It's like a GPS. The Bible, the scripture is there to correct our thinking, to guide us and tell us where to go, to give us the assurance that if we could quit trusting ourselves and thinking that we have it all figured out, that it's all about our wants, it's all about our thinking, it's all about what's popular, and start saying, no, God is doing something different in my life, something different with my family, something different with my world. We open the scriptures, we allow it to be the GPS, we start studying it, taking the indifferent understanding, different values, and lo and behold, we get so much more than when we just settle. It happens all the time. And that's my challenge for us this Holy Week. Let's think about what really matters. Let's think about how unpopular our Savior was. Let's think about how when they had it all messed up, they were all excited to see him. But once they realized what he was really there for, they turned against him. And let's ask that hard question of ourselves. Can I trust God? Can I put my firm trust in him, in what he's doing, in his word, in his Holy Spirit working in my life? And can I assume that because 
I've read the scriptures. I know the story. I know that in the end, our Savior rose from the dead and that God had a perfect will that was being worked out all the time that I don't have to go with what's popular. I don't have to just look at what I want. I don't have to think that I have to get it all figured out. I can trust in what he's doing and turn my life and my will over to him. Let's think about that this Holy Week because this is the week that we remember the most important gift that was ever given. Jesus didn't just love you. He was rejected for you. He was beaten for you. He was crucified for you. And he rose again for you. That you and I could not just have a person to look to, but that we could have a Savior to forgive us, that we could live forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace and for your love and for your wisdom. I thank you for the work that you do in our life, and I thank you for the fact that you care so deeply about each and every one of us. I pray that this Holy Week we could pause and think about how they all got it wrong on Palm Sunday. And yet your will continued to be worked out. And I pray in our own lives that we could find a way to turn to you and trust in you and know that you are sovereign God and working out your will as we trust in you more. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. At this time in our service, we just take a moment of deep reflection. Call Asakai to come forward with me as well. As Pastor Stan was saying, there are the moments where we just have to let it be God's will. And that's what the cross is. So maybe during this past week or going into this week coming up, there is a relationship that's just weighing heavily on you. There is a situation at work or at home that is just bearing down and you can kind of feel the pressure. This is that moment in the service where we just bring it to the cross. We let the cross guide us. We come before it and we offer it up to him in prayer. If you feel so moved, please, as we sing our closing hymn, come forward so we can have this opportunity to pray so that we can be guided and directed by our Lord, our Christ Savior. He came in this week until Jerusalem and they praised him only to crucify him at the end. He was our guiding light through it all. And if you feel so moved as well that, that he's been working on your heart, sometimes we get lost in our way and we rely on ourselves instead of the cross. And he's reminding us gently in our service today to come back to him, that you can rededicate your life time and time again so that we can stay on course and fulfill his will according to his ways, not our own.